Giving us a five-star review is the equivalent of swiping right on the Son of a Pitch podcast on Tinder. So if you like the sexy, dulcet tones of Max and Vince in your ear holes, you know what to do. Give us a five-star review and a little sexy comment. Cheers. Yeah, uh, son of a pitch. Yeah, this is something you don't want to miss. Uh-huh. Interviews with creatives and the best strategists. All the top in Australia who steady making moves. Uh-huh. The podcast that puts you right in the pitch room. Yeah, professionals in this market. Uh, time to get it started. Uh, give us some complex problems, so let's see how you can solve it. Tune in with some Aussies. I bet you can't resist. Yeah, yeah, get it hyped. This is son of a pitch. Dylan, you son of a pitch. If there was a Mount Rushmore of advertising people, Adam Ferrier's face would probably be carved into stone somewhere. Uh, he sold an agency, a bit of a cult of personality. And we, we, we went to talk to Adam and uh, we, it, the talk took place at the Beresford Pub, which is a pub in Sydney. So there's a bit of pub background noise. There is a bit of pub background noise. And when we walked in through the front doors and we saw Adam sitting there yeah. on the couch... Uh, he probably looked like the grumpiest person of all time, and I think we were shaking in our boots at that point. Uh, both of us were very nervous, and something happened at the start of the episode, which we've got a preface before we get into it, yeah. which is what, Max? Uh, Vince forgot to replace the batteries, um, and they cut out halfway through. <laughs> it did. So, this episode is all about Max and I embracing our mistakes. There are a couple of times in this episode where we ask maybe the stupidest questions, but we're not going to edit it out because the reason why we've, we've left all of this stuff in is to show the people that we're idiots. And it's okay to be an idiot sometimes. You know, you should never hold back from having these opportunities and meeting these people because they can open up new doors. And Adam... Uh, referred us in to a couple of people after this episode as well because he thought that our questions were good, right? Yeah. Adam's Adam's great. He's one of the smartest people I've ever talked to. And Adam and his agency, Thinkabell, just won uh, emerging, emerging Agency of the Year last night at uh, Mumbrella. They not did. Sure, not sure when this podcast will come out, but it happened. It happened. And you'll be able to understand the reason why because we go into a lot of the detail as to how Adam picks people to bring into Thinkabell, what type of people he looks for to work with and, and to bring out the best in, in work and kind of what he values about the advertising industry and also how to be a weirdo and embrace it and embrace your eccentricities and get through life kind of a little bit better, right? Like there's some psychological help in this yeah. one. And one other thing that we have to preface is that there is no pitch in this episode, is there, Max? No, Adam was too cool for the pitch. He said if he was to do the pitch segment, he'd have to charge us a million dollars. So, unfortunately, no pitch this week. Um, no, it's a, good, it's a good one anyway. This is probably one of our favorite podcasts um, of the series. You're going to enjoy it. So, strap in, get ready for the ride. Adam Ferrier, welcome to Son of a Pitch. Ah, thank you. <laughs> it's brilliant to have you here. I think when we were researching your career to date and your life to date, we came across a lot of really, really interesting things. Now, tell me if I'm wrong. I might just be making an assumption here. But you seem to be the type of person that either doesn't like convention or gets a real thrill out of pushing up against convention. 
we know a bunch of people like that who are young like us who get weeded out of advertising very, very early in their career for doing exactly the same thing. We wanted to hear your thoughts on how important it is to do that and or how to survive. Buck, what a great, what a great question. And yes, your instincts are correct. <laughs> I really push up against convention. I hate being kind of shoved into, into any kind of conformity. Um, and I, I, but the, 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 it's a deeper question than that because I think what tends to happen in advertising, advertising teaches people, especially creatives, that they're the only ones who are creative and other people don't understand what ideas are. And it's probably the most stupid thing that anybody could learn because it then just shuts you off from opportunity. And I also think that advertising is, in general is taught at, and creativity and ideas is taught so badly that... Um, I reckon you probably know most when you haven't uh, when you start, and then the hard thing is um, finding your points of credibility or finding your points of substantiation. If you can't lean on experience or if you can't lean on I've done it this way before and that kind of thing, uh, so I find the freshest, most interesting ideas are often in people who haven't been siloed, put into a bucket, or taught how not to think. How do you avoid getting siloed and put into a bucket, if that is your environment, for instance? Um, I, think, I think that maybe a little bit you're born to, if you're, if you're saying you're born to bucket the trends and kind of resist that kind of thing, I think that's probably a, a good thing to do. I think the other thing to do is try to always just kind of try to step back and take a, a broader perspective. So you don't just understand your little bit of a pie, but you understand the kind of the macro thing you're trying to do so you don't get uh, put into a little box. You try to stay uh, above everything, not in a kind of a, an egotistical, I'm better than the, but just take a, take a wide angle view of everything. And nothing really matters in the short term, I think is another really good thing. So don't fight for the short term, don't fight for the small things because at, at the end of the day, in the, in the short term, nothing really matters. So let's try to take a step back Look at the whole picture, um, and and back and back yourself, and, and find some language to substantiate what you're saying. Do you implement this at your agency, Thinkabel, allowing strategists and creatives to leave their silo and to talk with each other and, and allow anyone to have an idea? Yeah, we're getting really good at creating a culture that uh, people come to a creative agency for creativity. They don't come to a creative agency to then meet the creatives within the creative agency. They think the whole agency is creative. Mm. And so it's imperative that everybody values that and contributes to creative output where and when they can. Mm. And sometimes you need some workhorses who just tend to be really, really good at solving problems embedded in that, in that creative environment as well. I think it's really easy to kind of look at what you've done and where you've come from and to get the idea that you've been playing 10-dimensional chess the entire time. But I feel like that's probably not the actual case. Is that something that you've kind of thought about? Have you always been thinking on a macro level about your own career and your life and the things that you might do and then planning those out? Or uh, I'd like to say my mum always used to say I was blessed with no ambition. I know what she means. I think everything I do, I think is amazing and I'm very easy on myself. I'm not hard on myself and think, fuck, that's great. I'm always constant. I have very low 
expectations. I can't believe I'm gainfully employed and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So if your expectations are really low on yourself, you'll constantly amaze yourself. And, and I don't believe in having a strategy or a longer-term view of anything. I think just do whatever you can at the moment and just make that thing cool or interesting and it will lead on to other types of things. Hmm. What do you think? Well, I myself, yeah, I think that's probably the same case. Um, I come from way out west where probably should be flipping tyres at a Jack's Time Art or something. So I'm pretty blessed to to be doing what I'm doing and pushing myself kind of in that way. So, yeah. Right, good. Yeah, there's an interesting perspective that happiness is like a function of expectation. Um, but uh, what was, what was going to be my point? Um, yeah, I, I'm like you. I don't, I don't feel like I, when, I, when, you're in an in, when you're in an interview, I feel it's a weird question to get asked, what are you going to do in five years' time? Because who knows, yeah. if I had talked to myself five years ago, and told them some of the projects I've, I've been working on, my, my past self would be like, wait, what? Why are you doing that? Yeah. It's, it's, just um, so I reckon it's kind of cool to have very short-term goals and just do the best you can in the short term and then see what unfolds. That worked for me, but I thrive in chaos. I thrive in disorder. And um, not everybody's like that, so everyone else will have their own way of doing things. But I was always really sus on the people who knew what they were going to do um, and who had a had a plan um why were you sus on them why why what about their plan made you uh i it's, a, it's, a, yeah. it's again I, I i just got taught i got taught to value a reverence from uh from certain people and i got taught to i always can remember belittling people who who were really organized or really structured <laughs> And, uh, and I don't know why, I, and I, I find it hard to shake off, I think. I feel the same way, to be honest. I think it's got me in, in trouble quite a few times. You guys are essentially the same, the same person from what I'm hearing. Yeah. yeah. Um, how do you feel inside? Are you, because you're doing like a, a lot of stuff. Like uh, I'm exhausted, but I'm incredibly content. I'm, I'm, um, I'm very, very... I'm very, very thankful that I have somebody in my life who loves me and I've got a couple of kids and I'm gainfully employed and I reckon that's no mean feat. So, you know, I re- again, it's come back to keep your expectations low and then everything looks after itself. Has that always been your mantra or was that? It was at this moment he knew. He fucked up. All right. We are recording. So a bit of technical again. difficulties there for those at home. Vince uh, forgot the batteries. I did. <laughs> and I feel like it's a really cruel twist of fate because we, we just had some knowledge dropped on us that was absolutely amazing. Yeah, the meaning of life. And that, yeah, yeah. No, one, yeah. no one gets it. That's all right. It it wasn't it's 42. 24. It's 40, It's 42 for those listening at home. <laughs> all right. Brilliant. Okay. Well, you know what? We're just going to cut back straight, straight into it. Uh, I f- how do you feel about uh, about kind of things popping up on you in your life, opportunities that come out of nowhere, maybe mistakes that you've made? How do you react when those things happen, just like they've happened to us? Um, with, with mistakes, because I'm easy on myself, I don't mind. I think I'm doing the best I can, just like I think you can pretty easily brush off the fact that you've just forgotten the most basic fundamental rule of fucking doing anything like this which is have batteries but I don't think you particularly give a shit which I reckon probably bodes well for you um, 
but I also I also have a hard time saying uh, no, and so therefore my dance card is full a lot because I always say yes to stuff. So I kind of people kind of gravitate towards people who say say yes. Hmm. Yeah, it's the you often talk about the Benjamin Franklin effect, right? Mm-hmm. Are you doing a lot of favors for people purposefully? Well, if I'm doing favors for them, it means I like them more, not they like me more. I'm not getting. I, I do. I actually, you know what? I've lived my life by it. the Benjamin Franklin effect, which basically get ask people to do you a favor and they like you more. And I remember I used to I used to work in the prison system, and we used to always talk about who would survive in prison. And my uh, the head psychologist David Schwartz said to me, this is before I knew about it. He said. Oh, you'll be you'll survive fantastically in prison and I said why and he said because you'll subtly kind of get other people to do stuff for you I thought fuck that's interesting but I kind of knew what he meant and it sounds pretty hideous to say that mm. it sounds like a pretty he- evil kind of tray but um, but I'm not afraid to ask I'm not afraid to ask for help I'm not afraid to ask for favors and I'm you know and so I think it's good can you dive a bit deeper into this Benjamin Franklin effect? So if you ask somebody to do something for you, they will like you more? Well, why? If you, ask somebody to do your, if you get somebody to do something for you, they'll invest something of themselves into you. Right. And to invest something of themselves into you, they'll have to justify you as having been worthy of having done something for. Right, right. And so uh, you'll value that person more or you'll value that brand more. Gotcha. So the kind of a, the colloquial, the thing we say is, Stop asking what you can do for your customer. Ask what your customer can do for you. Because the more your customer invests into you, the more time they spend with your brand, uh, the more they're going to like you because they have to justify doing those actions. And now it's time for a break. Are you a creative soul who feels crushed by the irrepressible reality of hilarious delusion you live in every day of your life? Perhaps you know more about XL formatting than your significant other's private parts, resulting in a deep and throbbing pain emanating from your heart as you constantly ponder your sick fancy rise to the top of your organizational food chain. You may have even found yourself tapping your foot non-stop in the doctor's office as the pulsating flow of blood from your head convinces you that the work-related stress disease you read about in National Geographic one time is about to make your eyes pop from your skull atop a geyser of hot steam. Well, have I got a deal for you. Miami Ad School are offering a strategic planning boot camp that is almost sure to guarantee you a life filled with ever-changing, mind-bending creative challenges that help you make an actual difference within the world. Not only does it put you in touch with some of the world's best strategic minds, like the ones on this podcast, but you'll be investing in a chance to start your life anew. And the best thing? Given you're a loyal listener to the Son of a Pitch podcast, we'll waive your application fee so there's absolutely no risk to you whatsoever. Just email us at podcastsoap at gmail.com if you're interested. That's podcastsoap, S-O-A-P, podcastsoap at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to the good stuff. While, while we got you talking about behavioral effects, because I think, that's what I find more uh, most fascinating about your work um, is how you sort of flipped uh, the the briefing model on its head when you when you try and look for the behavior first rather than go straight to the idea. Can yeah. you elaborate sort of how you how you got to that methodology um, and how it's obviously worked wonders for you? Yeah, um, a psychologist in advertising, so I understand advertising, I understand psychology. Both of those things about behavior change. Then we were writing briefs. We thought, well, there's no brief where you're not asking anybody to do anything. 
So there's always a beha- there's always a business goal or a brand goal, sell X many units or whatever. And then from that, there's a whole lot of different behaviours you can change, whether they be people or actions or different times of day or occasions or whatever. So work out whose behaviour change will kind of get you closest to the business goal and then set about trying to work out how to change that behaviour. The other really good thing about it is it's a media and creative and disciplined agnostic approach to ideas. Yeah. And so you don't then, you know, and I think that's important about having a framework that doesn't lead into any one type of solution. Did you have this method before you founded Naked or was this back all the way back no, at Saatchi and Saatchi? No, we just we we developed it at Naked. Yeah. Uh, and we developed it at Naked in return for cuz Naked was a strategy only agency. Mhm. And then the creative agencies and the media agencies started to lift their strategic game. And so we needed to kind of find a new point of difference. So we, so we started delving into uh, behavioural sciences and behavioural economics was kind of at, uh, coming, being birthed at that same time as mm-hmm. well. Okay. Okay, cool. Do you have a repository of behavioural effects that you can look upon to solve particular issues? Or is that all up there from many... No, I do. We, I have a, a taxonomy of approaches, but um, which I can dip into, and I know the kind of the key levers to to change and the key pockets of where ideas will probably stem from. Um, but I'd encourage you to get your own hmm. um, and just just work into how to change people's behaviour. All the models kind of fundamentally boil down to you know how motivated people are and how easy it is for them to do what you want them to do. And then from there, it kind of breaks down a little bit more, but it helps you solve problems really easily. And most advertising problems are around ease, which is just, you know, buying sharp stuff about mental and physical availability. It's kind of getting salient, getting stuck in people's head so, so you're easy to remember, and then having physical availability so you're easy to buy. So nobody ever said to me that advertising is just about making it easier for people to remember your brand and buy your brand. You know, we always talk about motivation and deep insights and deep penetrating truths, but it's not always, doesn't necessarily ring true. Mm. How do mm. clients respond to this approach? Are they sophisticated enough where they buy, where they buy into this mentality? Yeah, I reckon. I, I always see my clients as being pretty much like me at school, but they're always the ones who are just a bit smarter. Sure. So the slightly dumber people go into um, consultancy or creative agencies uh, but maybe in creative agencies are slightly more creative or slightly more abstract as well mm. so yeah I don't think they have any issue it's not rocket yeah. science it's just it's actually but it, you know it is pretty complicated stuff so you do need to kind of have some kind of framework I think okay. where do you start if you're young and you're coming into this and you're looking at behavioral economics as being a really key kind of I don't know set to add to your strengths, um, where do you start? How do you develop? I'll start with by reading Byron Sharp's book, um, How Brands Grow, and uh, reading, or trying to read Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. <laughs> yeah, it's trying to read. Well, I, I, yeah. I, I reviewed it for the International Journal of Advertising, but I never read it because I found it too hard to read. And so I reviewed the book thinking, why would somebody who knows so much about how we 
uh, how the brain works, how we make decisions, yeah. and write a book so difficult <laughs> to read. And, uh, that's I a great point. I've never heard yeah, that. Uh, so, that was, so I don't know. Well, he didn't have a practice what he preached, that's for sure. Um, anyway. He should have had like the system one version, the, yeah. the, 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 the footnotes. That's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, that's he should a cruel have. He irony. should have done something. That's, that was my point. Yeah, he should have applied that in his writer. But he did all right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it's sold pretty well. That was probably the editor's downfall on that one. It had to be complicated for that Nobel Prize, I guess. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I um, changed my my name is officially still Max. I changed my Mac, my name from Adam to Max uh, after reading a book. This is a true story called Existential Psychotherapy by a guy called Irvin Yalom, who's an amazing uh, psychologist. And it was all about, not, just coming back to your point about boundaries and pushing up on boundaries. All right. And the book said, never set boundaries that are imposed on you. And um, I thought, fuck, that really rung true. And then I thought, I've never liked my name, which was Adam. Uh, and then I thought, fuck it, I'm going to change my name because I never liked it. And I changed it to Max, uh, which was a much cooler name. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's got an X in it. I thought you were about to say I changed my name to Max because I saw that like Max Power episode of The Simpsons. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. That happened after. But, yeah. uh, but Homer also yeah, also did it. It's so a trend. I reckon about 50% of people called Max have <laughs> changed their name to Max. <laughs> well, I might change my name to Adam after, after hearing this. Why did you, why did you go <laughs> back? Uh, I just got a bit... I came, I came to peace with Adam. But I haven't officially gone back, so it's officially it's still so you're Max. legally Max Ferrier. Still legally Max. All right, but uh, but uh, but I but I've kind of grown more comfortable with Adam again. <laughs> Maybe we need to go back and record the intro where we introduce Adam as, as Max Ferrier. Well, I just think I got to change show my name from Vince right now. Like, <laughs> if we're going full tilt into personal branding, like, yeah, yeah let, let's start thinking of some crazy. You names. can be Usher, Usher. Yeah. Uh, what about Macaulay Culkin changing his... Uh, <laughs> Macaulay, Macaulay, Macaulay Culkin or whatever it, it yeah, is. Yeah, Macaulay, Macaulay Culkin, Culkin. So funny. Wait, why did he change his name to Macaulay? He changed his middle name to Macaulay Culkin. Wow. Yeah. Now, if, if you are a person like this and you're, you're comfortable with doing that, so you're actually comfortable with taking the leap and going that extra mile and you recognize that within yourself, how do you then transition that feeling or that mode into what you do at work um, in advertising every day? Because we, we talk to a lot of young planners on this show and they'll be listening and maybe they feel the same way but don't want to express themselves um, in that way at work for fear of being chopped out or something like that. Um, gosh. Um, I think the, I think all anyone can do is just be themselves and do, and you know that's all all you've kind of got. So it's kind of give it, it's hard to give advice and say do it this way because it will, it doesn't really work like that. All you can do is do what you've got. But I think kind of embracing, I think embracing whatever quirks you've got, whatever kind of weirdness you've got. I gave a talk once. I loved telling this story. And they after the talk, somebody emailed me the next day and said, oh. Adam, look, it's obvious you're a really awkward guy, but you've somehow turned awkward into awesome. <laughs> this is his words, not mine. How did you do it? And I kind of know what he means. It's like I'm a pretty weird-looking guy and all that kind of stuff, and it's just about embracing... I think it's embracing whatever you've got and then appreciating if you've got something a bit, that's a bit odd about you, then realise that's probably how people are judging you anyway. So lean into that and make the most of it. Hmm. You create, obviously, a, 
well, have created a lot of environments in which people work. How have you been thoughtful about creating those environments to allow people to do things like that? Um, I model a sense of chaos um, and I think that gives people liberty to be a little bit more chaotic and then I have I always work with people who are structured nurturing and can provide a safe a psychologically safe environment and then I feel like my job within that is to be the mascot of chaos or <laughs> that's not bad is it um, and just to just to kind of keep on pushing boundaries uh, but I think it's a team approach and you know and needing to make sure you've also got rigor, discipline, structure, people who follow through, the people we were talking about before who like to, you know, mm. have a plan and cross the T's and dot the I's and all mm. that stuff. What, what is the value of chaos and creativity? I think it's all about that, right? Yeah. It's all about bringing different things together and creating new things out of any stimuli you've got lying around mm. in, your, in your head. Do you separate culture and chaos? Or do they sit kind of side by side? The culture no, is I think, chaos. I, I think, I think the more I don't quite know what the question is, but I think the more you understand what's happening in I think understanding what's happening in culture, and being tapped into the latest trends of whether it be highbrow, lowbrow, or unibrow, whatever. I think it's really important to be able to bring that to the table. And again, if I'm working nine to five in an office on a particular job, it's something that's going to be very, very hard for me to get exposed to and sometimes you need to have people uh, such as yourselves and your listeners bringing that to the table and the more tapped into that the better mm. I'm just wondering if if so take BBDO for instance as kind of a network agency if you could really insert chaos into that agency would it benefit it big time is, is that kind of how it works it's just wherever the environment is no matter what the culture is of the agency oh, no, or the no. I don't think so I, I think it just depends on how that particular culture or how that organisation thrives uh, you know what, what they're about like I wouldn't want culture insert, I wouldn't want chaos inserted into the emergency room of St Vincent's like I think you know what I mean, you know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. like it just depends and and um, you know, and we're overstating it here. Like I'm over, I'm not, you know, to use a word like chaos and then to kind of probe into it a little bit, suddenly you're starting to gild the lily by, by talking about it too much and mm, making it mm, feel mm, like, right. you know what I mean? You yeah. can't fetishise it. Yeah, that, yeah, exactly, yeah. In saying that though, does, uh, I, I imagine chaos doesn't extend as well to the media buying arm of, uh, of your business. Uh, I, think the, I, think the, I think having freedom of thought at a strategy level, sure, it, sure, it certainly does. Yep, yep. Um, and then, and then, obviously, in the implementation is, mm. is is a different thing. But also, really interesting, I think, was also happening. There's a lot of pressure on uh, people in communications. Is this need to be really, really collaborative, build ideas, take ideas from anywhere, kind of being open. But then, as well, suddenly having to change that and say, actually, look, we're now really sure this is the right thing to do. And being and having a kind of two cultures operating where you're kind of mixing things up, but then being very, very kind of um, deliberate and confident in your recommendations. Is mm. this why you've set Thinkabell up to be the way that it is, where you've got the kind of rigorous scientific? Yeah, I reckon Measured Magic is, uh, which is our proposition, which is marketing sciences meets hardcore creativity. I reckon that's. A, I reckon the Measured Magic is a pretty good 
mm. uh, benchmark for how an agency should be operating. Well, obviously I do because we created well, yeah. it, but, um, <laughs> but, there's a, but there's a million other ways to you know to do it. Obviously, yeah. uh, do you think? Well, we we talk. Well, this is gonna. It's a bit from left field, but when when we look at politicians of today, a lot of people are making the kind of uh, have a bit of a gripe about career politicians. Do you feel the same way about career advertisers? Considering no. you've come from a left field kind of space, I think I think as long as Dave Drager's in the world, yeah, mm. then you know you're going to be. He got, he's got a pretty good argument there for a career advertising person to, you know, has done amazing things. Mm. Uh, and uh, the Crispin Porter chap. Um, Alex Mo- Bogoski. Yeah. yeah. You know, he was amazing. And the fact that he left advertising, I think it's a real shame because I thought he was just fantastic. Um, so, no, I think, I think you know, just whatever. But you've definitely pulled, I guess, from your history ah, in psychology. Highly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if he can come at it from somewhere else, and even if that somewhere else is only at school or at uni or mm. a unit you did, just draw on it and get that just get that pool of whatever it is. If you studied some weird thing at uni, just go deep on it and keep that with you for as long as possible. Because again, you know about those collisions and unexpected bringing unexpected things together. I think it's a massive pool of learning. So someone like Dave Droger, I'd I'd love to know where he gets his uh, his inspiration. Like him, you know, it'd be fascinating. Hmm. Your agency is kind of acting as a magnet almost for people coming from outside of the advertising world and into the space, and also you coming from the world of Gruen and popularising advertising and and showing it to the world. Um, is that something that you've been thoughtful about doing? No, not at all. And it's really, I feel immensely disappointed in how few opportunities we can give people outside of uh, marketing communications. Like, you're right, though. It's, it's, it's insightful of you. Like, we do get a lot of different... We get a lot of people trying to... You know, who are restless in being a lawyer or being yeah. a psychologist or, or whatever and who want to come in. Um, but we, there's not that many jobs available. Mm. Well, how do we market marketing better, I guess, is the question. Uh, I don't know. I think, I think, I don't know. I don't know if we need to. I sure. Think, mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. If they, <laughs> they feel like it. <laughs> Fair enough. No, that's... Thanks to... Glossing over that little awkward thing that's happened between Max and I there. Nah, keep it. Let's keep it. Right. I wish I had a camera rolling. <laughs> that's all I'm going to say. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the tension in the air. It's dumb, uh, dumb question, <laughs> dumb answer, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so moving on from that, if, if you are coming from outside of the kind of advertising world, we asked you before, um, the batteries kind of fucked up on us. Whether or not you were you were playing ten-dimensional chess, and whether you'd been planned about it, and you said um, pretty much no. Like you, you're very grateful for where you are in the world, and you let things come, and and you kind of chase the things that you're interested in. Uh, people outside of advertising looking to get in from the academic world, etc. Those people that you were talking about just before, how would you recommend? trying to get your foot in the door. I think the most important thing for those people is to prove that they want to do this. Mm. So go to uh, Miami Ad School, do a ward, 
uh, spend, you know, get a three-month gig where you're not paid. I, I know you're still allowed to do that. I don't know. But just prove that you're passionate about wanting to get in and then you won't get any you won't get any real conversations happening until you prove that. And a lot of the time when you get people from outside the industry, they're just bored with their current gig. But that's probably just a bigger predictor that they're going to be bored in whatever gig they end up going to right, because right. nothing really changes that much. So in fact, you have to prove you're passionate about getting into this particular career. You're probably one of those people out there who's in quite a senior position but entertains the kind of the requests from the younger people out there like Max and I getting you on this podcast right now. Why is that? I have trouble saying no. Like I shouldn't be here. Like, fuck <laughs> off. Stop, stop asking me. No, I don't know. I just, I find it, I love it. I find it interesting. I like, uh, yeah, I find it very rewarding. And, and, you know, I just find it interesting, nice. It's also a bit narcissistic. You get to say something, people listen, you know, a whole lot of motivations. Has that been a strategy for you as far as getting the name out there? You seem to always be on the box. Yeah, getting the name out there is really important. So flying under the radar is not a business strategy as a human or as a company, anything. It just doesn't work because uh, of this whole kind of thing around saliency. So clients choose agents. When you know, clients got an agency, they're going to get a shortlist that's going to pop into their head. It's important to be on that shortlist and that's, and that's done by, um, by being omnipresent. And in really weird ways, I heard that you kind of you didn't wear shoes to an award ceremony one time but then i was listening to a podcast in which i heard that you didn't wear shoes to school either so (laughs) i didn't know whether or not that was just an affectation of your personality and the way that you grew up or whether or not that was very very often i'll do things that are just the way i was brought up so i never wore shoes at all growing up and i love not wearing shoes and i'll very often wear shoes and i'll meet clients first time and i won't be wearing shoes but people are very quick to put it onto an affectation Mm. Or just wearing all black all the time. I really am inherently lazy. And I really am doing it just because it's so much easier. And it's also slimming. So I don't look quite as... <laughs> so I don't look quite he as does fat. look very slim. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't look quite as fat. But it's the... And then... But maybe I'm just saying that to myself and it really is complete affect. Yeah. Um, but I was, I'm wearing these shoes at the moment. They're bright white. Velcro straps. And they're called Pro Sport. And they got sent to us by a client... Um, from uh, Brand Collective, and they're prison issue shoes. Yes, I was going to say they right. look like Duncan K- <laughs> the Dunlop K26s yeah, they give you. Yeah. yeah, and but they're really light, so if you throw them at someone, they don't hurt. They're bright white, and they're just unreal. Is that Are why they, they put those in prison so that if you throw them at someone, they well, don't that's hurt. what my wife told me. But yeah. I'd, I'd never learned that when I was working there. But anyway, so but they're also slightly like they're quite garishly white. But I do enjoy wearing them. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. They anyway. work with the black man. So, yeah. Thank definitely. you. Thank so, you at least have big feet if you're going to be slim up top. <laughs> yeah, so you look stable? No, I don't. I don't, don't look, don't you're not what do they say about big feet? I yeah, I don't know. But so, you won't topple over. Yeah, Wearing black is it. a conscious decision. <laughs> like you're following the likes of Mark Zuckerberg trying to reduce decision-making fatigue. And this is at some point in your life you said, I'm, I'm just going to be wearing black from now on. That's right. Wow. Okay. Mm. Wow, living the dream. But does that, does that, is that, and, uh, are you conscious of and that? And I also started up a thing called Facebook. Facebook, yeah, 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 I've heard of it. The lesser, yeah. the lesser known social network. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Um, 
are you conscious of like when you made that decision, how would it, it would affect your personal brand and how it would affect your relationship with clients? If I was, yeah, I'd be the biggest dickhead in the world <laughs> to admit it to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah now my brand was lacking distinctive assets. So I thought, yeah. No. Well, that's very Byron Sharp. Mm. But this is the thing, right? Is that I was all, so when we were doing the research for this, I remember you talking about, and I am making this, this comparison in the most genuine, I'm sorry way possible. You said that uh, when you used to talk to sex offenders, um, that they would rationalize their behavior so much over time that eventually they would just convince themselves that it was all good to, to talk in that way. Um, do you feel like uh, maybe these affectations have just been rationalized yeah, by you in yeah. the same I, way? I, I wouldn't doubt it. Um, and uh, Yes, absolutely. Hmm. So, we, you know, we, and we spend a lot of time rationalizing our behavior and rationalizing our behaviors to ourselves. Um, and, you know, it's the reason why people can study for years and years uh, become a doctor and then they choose to become a plastic surgeon and you know do all that kind of stuff but they wouldn't see themselves doing anything wrong and and so like, we, I don't know, like that's a bit of an obscure example but I think I think our power to deceive ourselves and our power to see ourselves in the best possible light is is endless hmm. what about the power of communication what we do as kind of advertisers um, working with people and I say that uh, working with people I guess sometimes it's forcing messages and, and things down people's throats um, but what do you see as the, the ultimate power of advertising or the limit to the power of advertising in, in changing the way that people do things and making them rationalise really weird things or, or messages that we put out there I used to always I've got this very antagonistic friend and he always we always debate with enough budget, could you make anybody do anything? And my answer is always yes, and his answer is always no, because like if if I wanted you to eat um, a, a bunch of cigarette butts from an ashtray, mm. I could make you do that pretty easily, but it wouldn't. It'll be hard to do that through passive advertising. I might have to offer some kind of incentive or something to get you to eat them but it wouldn't take that much to get you to do that seemingly gross thing so i think the power i think uh and you know you look at you look at cults and, and things like that which which obviously work on many of the same principles as we apply it's just ramped up in times a thousand so i do think that the ability to influence others is uh pretty pretty powerful you actually went into cults and tried to break them apart can you tell yeah. us about how this how this came to be a thing that, that you oh, I, did? It came to be a thing because a very good friend of mine at school was taken by the Church of Scientology. So myself and he, one night, we were bored, or we 16 in the city, got asked to do a personality test. I encouraged him to do it. We both did it in separate rooms. Uh, I came out an hour and a half later, or two and a half hours later, thinking that was hilarious. He came out with all these books he had bought and signed up for this, oh oh my God. Oh, this course. And he ended up getting quite sucked into the whole, yeah, into his, the whole his thing. His Thetan levels were off the charts. Yeah, that's right. And I was always fascinated. And then as friends of mine got caught, taken by the cult, the you know, landmark education or the forum, I don't know, you know. And then, cause it, and then it was just about power and influence. And so I met a rabbi uh, called Rabbi Shmuley, um, no, not Rabbi Shmuley, Ra Raphael Aaron was his name from Cult Counseling Australia. Mm. And just 
did a bit of stuff with him and then he said that's be like a cult pest and um and kind of went went along and kind of tried try to yell out this is a cult go home stuff like that um but was it scientology or did it extend oh, a to few other different cults yeah yeah i met my but you uh, were 16 no nah, i was 16 when that happened sure, i was sure. like in my 20s when i was gotcha, in 30s gotcha. when i started being a cult pest and then i met my wife at a cult at the brahma kamaris uh which i was um up there doing the same kind of thing and she, yeah. she had typed in meditation retreat blue mountains with a friend and i met her there and anyway right. wow and did, then got the cult did participating in cults thing, um help you in the realm of advertising did it yeah yeah there's really a, a book called the culting yeah. of brands yep which is i think really which i think is interesting um it's been debunked a lot because of behavioralism's become so big just mainly because of byron sharp and behavioral economics uh but you know the powers of of cults and how they work you can mm. you can apply them if you want to there's a whole kind of methodology there that you can just suck and spit out as your own language mm. aside from a wife what did that give you back <laughs> doing all of those things interest interesting interesting understanding people mm. and interesting understanding and back with the sex offender sex offender thing as well just the fragility of our own mind and how susceptible we all are to um to kidding ourselves and to external influence. Why do you think we've developed that way to be so fragile to external influences? Like, why is that an evolutionary thing? Why aren't we stronger to outside influences? Um, I reckon ask somebody smarter than me that question, but it would have to do... I think it would have to do something with the power of um, social norming and the power of not standing out too much. And if you stand out too much, then you're going to get eaten by the tiger and it's better to be harmonious and part of a group sure uh, if you're too much of an outlier you'll yeah. um, die mm. I think well dying's an inevitability but uh, can, die quicker can, yeah we'll, we'll yeah. die in probably less <laughs> dramatic ways this has been a dark eaten. episode of the son of a bitch <laughs> podcast <laughs> uh, I feel like it's absolutely brilliant it, because of your knowledge of kind of how fragile the mind is does that make you Anxious as a result? Yeah, probably. I'll, I'll sound out. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think because I think I know deep down that all you can do is the best you can. Okay. Or, or eat cigarette butts, depending on how much. Yeah, everyone has a price. Everyone has a cigarette butt. But will, are you, you're making me a little anxious. Am I? No, you're not. No. Ah, damn. <laughs> uh, that would have been like a massive feather in my cap. I, think. I would have traded off that. Put it in your LinkedIn bio. Once made Adam Ferrier anxious. Or Max Ferrier, sorry. Yeah, yeah Max Ferrier. That's Max it. Adam Eric Ferrier. That's it. All right, we, we've got to get back on track here before we kind of let you go, I feel like. Um, back to young people in advertising yep. and kind of what they can do. Do you have advice for how people might uh, find it easier to navigate their world through advertising beyond just having very low expectations, but the things that they might be able to do to make themselves stronger in advertising, build better insights, um, do the, the mm. things that they're taught at Miami Ad School maybe in a much more nuanced, deeper, and, and I guess ostensibly better way. Uh, Nick Cummins' agency, The Royals, have got a proposition which I love, uh, which is that they want to be the most interested agency in the world and be really interested in things. 
And I reckon that's a really good place to start. Be really interested in, and I don't think it matters what it is. It could be anything. And I think being interested in stuff and having a pool of knowledge or a pool of something you're interested in to draw upon, even if it's just to break the awkward silence and just bring it up at random in a meeting or whatever, or you know, I think it's really, really important to have mm. something that nobody else has. And working the prison system, I always had that and a couple of other little you know, the chess thing and, you know, not, you know, it's like... What's it's, the chess thing? I just being uh, really good at chess as a kid. I was the state champion in Western Australia oh, where wow. very few people played chess and I was 12. Yeah. And not that many 12-year-olds in <laughs> the chess competitions. So, but... Uh, it's Gary Kasparov <laughs> over yeah, here. Yeah, 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 exactly. No. Bobby Fisher of 12-year-olds, yeah. Um, but, um, you know, so just, just, I think having those kind of things is really important and I think... Um, and I think just trying to find just trying to find what it is that other people notice about you and dialing that up and don't try to hide it and it will invariably be something that you think's probably a bit shit. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like when Tyrion Lannister on Game of Thrones says like wear your weaknesses as a shield, it's that sort of mentality. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. Be the bow bird. Yeah. Sorry? The bow bird, just pick up things, make a nest out of it. Is that what a bow bird does? All right. Yeah. Yeah, well, I reckon that taking nest out of a whole lot of different things that go around. Not the same analogy as taking your weakness to harm. Fatality. Yeah. No, Don't you're right. <laughs> yeah. Now, now both Max and I have had a weird, weird interaction with Adam. Yeah, we're leaving both of these in, and loved, loved every second of it. Now, we did create this podcast to find out our own uh, kind of weaknesses and, and try to learn from that. Turns out there are many. A lot of weaknesses. It turns out there are. There what are, what are they? What are your weaknesses? Generally, wasn't very good at talking. Yeah. You? Yeah, me. But I think Vince, Vince rambles a bit. I tend to ask dumb questions that don't go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. I tend to not be able to articulate things very well, so I go on very, very long tangents yes. uh, yeah, cool. in my questioning. You might have perfect, noticed that. Perfect guys are host a podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Definitely. The least articulate people in advertising. Um, I think that's probably where our questions run out, actually. Cool. That's been fun. It has been fun. And thank you for, for entertaining both of us because... Yeah, I, I feel like it's really important for the senior people in the industry to kind of to talk to younger people and, and yeah. uh, understand where, where they're coming from as well as the other way around. Yeah, I think I speak to Nick Cummins and um, have you spoken to Mark Green? No, neither Nick or Mark. I speak to those two. I reckon they're really good to can you, uh, to. Can you give us yeah, a line? Totally. Cool. Good on you guys. You have been listening to a Son of a Pitch podcast. My name is Vince. And my name is Max. And we're both planners living in Sydney, Australia. A big thanks to Helga Diamond and Miami Ad School for supporting the show. And if you want to get that $100 fee waived for Miami Ad School, please drop us a line at podcastsoap at gmail.com. That's podcastsoap at gmail.com. See you next time. Bye. Yeah, uh, son of a pitch. Yeah, this is something you don't want to miss. Uh-huh. Interviews with creatives and the best strategists. All the top in Australia who steady making moves. Uh-huh. The podcast that puts you right in the pitch room. Yeah, professionals in this market. Uh, time to get it started. Uh, give us some complex problems, so let's see how you can solve it. Tune in with some Aussies. I bet you can't resist. Yeah, yeah, get it hyped. This is son of a pitch. Chillin'. You son of a pitch.